Well, it's good to be with you this evening. In fact, as I've been thinking over this, I think it's the first time I've come in the evening. Uh, mostly in the morning, I think. I don't, I don't remember coming in the evening, but it's good to be with you and good to see the children here. And uh, trust that we'll all get something from the Word of God. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, as we come to your Word now, Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us. That you would give us hearts and minds and ears that are open to hear what you have to say. And that we would forget anything that is not of you. So Lord, speak to us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure that you know that story almost off by heart, don't you? Where we've done it, it's one of those things that you do in Sunday school and um, such like. And uh, we're all aware of, of Elijah and this great victory that he had over the prophets of Baal. But you know, this account of Elijah and the prophets here is set in a time of great sin and turning away from the Lord in, in Israel. In fact, if we go back to 1 Kings 16 and in verse 30, we read, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. That's not the sort of epitaph you want, is it? To say that you arouse God's fury more than all of the kings of Israel before him. And yet that's what he was doing. Ahab uh, was committing sins. He turned the nation to various idols. And because of that, God had brought upon the nation a great drought. And that drought had led to famine. And when we come to our passage, this drought has been going on then for three years. We get thoughts of drought after about two weeks of sunshine, don't we? But this has been going on for three years. And uh, it was really bad. Water was scarce. And both Ahab, the king, and Obadiah uh, were scanning the country, going in different directions, looking for water. You know when things have got bad, when the king goes looking for water. It's not the sort of thing he would normally do. But the Lord says to Elijah at this time, go and present yourself to, to the king. And so when God says that, you know that a showdown is coming and something very great is to occur. Now, I believe the Lord would have us see a few parallels this morning with this account and the land in which we live today. Um, Very much so. And of course, there is a challenge for each one of us in these days to be totally committed to the Lord and to follow him as our saviour. So the first thing I want to to bring to you this, this morning this morning, see, I'm in that mode. I only preach usually in the mornings. This evening is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. We look upon it as a physical one because we see it all happening. Uh, but we see Elijah, we see the king, we see all the people gathered together around this mountain. And uh, you look at it and you think, well, this, this is a physical coming together. And yes, on the surface of it, it is. But it's a very much a spiritual battle. And I say that because it is God that has called it. God has arranged it. 
and therefore uh, it's a spiritual one. And so we see Elijah on his own against 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah when, when you add them up. Now, this is not a battle that, humanly speaking, Elijah can win. 850 to 1 is not good odds. It's not the sort of thing that you would normally take on. But as I say, this is a spiritual battle that God has called, and he's called it against the demonic forces that have invaded Israel through King Ahab. God has set this meeting up. The people have been led astray, and they have been told to be present so that they can see once and for all who is God in the land. And it's quite a challenge, isn't it? You know, if, if when we do this thing, Baal answers, then he's God. But if not, if the Lord answers, then he is God. Do you all agree? And they go, yes, we'll agree that. And so this is a, a real battle that is about to line up. And the task before them is a straightforward one. They're to take a, a bull. They are to carve it up into the pieces that they would normally uh, do. And they are to put it on um, an, an altar and set light to it. Well, they're not to set light to it. They're God. Uh, is going to set light to it. So it's an easy task. Put it on there and then call on your God and see what happens. And the one who answers, he's going to be the true God. That's what we have before us. Now, if we look at our reading in verse 26, Elijah lets the prophets of Baal, the Baalites as I call them, go first. He says in verse 26, Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. Morning till noon. What's that? A good three hours. They're there, they're, they're dancing around, they're prancing, they're shouting. Nothing's happening. And so Elijah starts to taunt them in verse 27. At noon, Elijah starts to taunt them, saying, shout louder. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Perhaps he's busy. Perhaps he's travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. You know, he's really taking the mickey here, isn't he? And so they shout louder. They start to slash themselves with swords and spears. This was a custom that they did. The blood had to start to flow. And when midday passes, there's this frantic, what he calls prophesying, until the time of the evening sacrifice. So all the way through until the evening sacrifice, there is no response. No one answers. No one has paid attention. Then it's Elijah's turn. Now this is amazing really, isn't it? That Elijah, the first thing Elijah does is he gathers the people round and he rebuilds the altar. He rebuilds the altar, the one that probably Ahab had torn down. And then he gets the sacrifice ready. And then he tells the people, having done this, I want you to take four jars of water. Now remember, we're in the middle of three years where it hasn't rained. And yet he says, I want you to take four big jars of water. This is at that particular point an expensive commodity as well as just being water. And he says, I want you to pour it over the whole lot. Just pour it over the lot. And when you've done that, I want you to do it again. And when you've done that, I want you to do it again. 
the whole thing is drenched. The trench that is made around it is also filled with water. There is no way in the world that this sacrifice is able to be lit, humanly speaking. It's drenched. And then Elijah says this. And this is at the time of the evening sacrifice. This is at God's appointed time. Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you are Lord, that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Elijah's not doing this for his own sake. Elijah's not doing it to say, look, let them see that I'm your man. He's saying, let them see that you are God. That's what this is all about. And the result comes in verse 38, when the fire of the Lord fell and burned the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Then all the people saw this. They fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This spiritual battle that God has called has been completely won. The victory is God's. There was never any doubt, was there? But the people needed to know that Baal and Asherah were nothing and that God is God. And then if you read read it through, what comes next is rain, lots of rain. But this is no ordinary rain. Well, it is in terms of what actually falls from the sky. But this is God-sent rain. If you go to verse 44, uh, Elijah has told his servant to go and look to see what's coming. And, and six times he comes out and says, I can't see anything. But on the seventh time, it says, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now, I believe that that small cloud and the rain represents what is going to be the revival of a nation back to its God. A turning from idolatry back to the Lord in his day. So we have a spiritual battle that's gone on. And there is a spiritual battle in this land at this moment in time, isn't there? There there is a huge spiritual battle. And if we don't see what's going on, then perhaps we don't realise it. But what is happening in our parliament and what is happening across the land isn't just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing between good and evil. God wants us to return to him as a nation. But the nation doesn't want to turn. And there is this battle going on. We'll look at that a a, a bit more. And so we as a nation, and these are the parallels we can take from this story, we as a nation are very much like what Israel was in the times of Elijah. We are searching for different gods. We have forsaken God himself. We were a godly nation once. We had a a nation that was sending out missionaries. We were a godly nation and now we have turned from that and we are involved in so many different types of idol worship. It's unreal. It's riddled with it. The country allows this thing to happen and encourages it to happen. Our leaders have become corrupt. They are following their own desires. They're not worried about what we, the people, who have elected them think. They're just doing what they want to do. 
They're passing laws that go against God's laws. They're imposing subjects on our children in schools that God must, well, he abhors. We're allowing and changing abortion laws, which were wrong in the first place, but we are now allowing abortion up to, and in fact some cases, beyond birth. We are in effect, as the Old Testament would put it, sacrificing our children to Molech. This is what we're doing. And these things God abhors. And you know what's even worse? Is the church, on the whole, to a large extent, has been supporting these things. It has been changing the word of God to support these, what I can only call them, heresies. The altar of God has been broken down in this country. And we are following the ways of Baal and Asherah. I, I didn't know what to think on the telly the other week when I saw that the, a church in Norwich had erected this roller coaster thing, whatever they call it. Uh, that's it, helter-skelter in the church. And uh, that's what the church has become. The church has become uh, a worldly idol, if you like, of all things to all men and women and whatever, rather than preaching the word of God. So what's the challenge for us? Because there is a challenge here for each one of us. Excuse me a moment, got a bit of a tickle there. The world in which we live has started to label born-again believers as extremists. Did you know that? It puts us on the same footing as terrorists. I'm not quite sure why, because we do not kill, but we offer a message of love. We offer a message of peace and forgiveness. The reason for this is we too are involved in a spiritual battle, just like Elijah was. The devil is making it hard for us And he's trying to not only put us down, but keep us down. And you know, I have to say at this moment in time that what I see of the church, the devil is winning. Because the church is remaining quiet. The church is going along with all the things that it shouldn't be going along with. I'm not here to give a political message, by the way, even if it sounds that way. That's not the the case. But he's attempting to shut down the message in whatever way he can. Only a few weeks ago, you might have seen that... um, there was a church that ran a a children's group in a library. They'd done it for eight years. And because they sang a song or sang songs that mentioned God, they were told they couldn't do it anymore. They were kicked out of the library. All because they had a song or songs that mentioned God. Are they so afraid of the name of God that they want it totally shut down? The challenge for us today is to seek the Lord, of course, with all our hearts and minds and souls, to walk with him closely. But also that we should pray for our nation. We need to to really pray fervently and constantly that our nation repents of the way it's gone. That we ask God to um, stop the situation that we're in and turn us back to the Lord.
We need, as it were, to rebuild the altar, just as Elijah did, to go back to what the word of God says, to put him back on the throne in this land. Christ Jesus paid the ultimate price for our salvation. He saved us by his precious blood shed upon that cross. He has given us of his Holy Spirit when we ask him into our lives. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And he has given us a job to do. And that job is to spread the gospel. He's given that job to us. He hasn't left it to anybody else. He hasn't got a backup plan. He's left it to us. And the church has decided that it's better to have a, a, a helter-skelter in the church than it is to preach the gospel. We dare not let others keep us down. We dare not allow others to make us afraid and keep us quiet. The salvation of many people depends on us speaking out and speaking up for the things of God. That's the challenge for us today. Let us take God at his word. Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, In the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I had a friend the other day who's not a Christian say to me, you know, the majority of church people are hypocrites. Do you realise that's such a sad thing to say, isn't it? We are to shine before others. What type of light are we shining if someone calls us a hypocrite? That should not be. And so our lifestyle should be different. John 1 verse 5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and nor will it until the Lord comes and then he will banish that darkness. It's time for the men and women of God and I trust that's you and I as well as others to get rid of the worldly things which take us away from God and seek him and walk in his ways. It's time for us to stand up for the word of God, which does not change as the world changes. But the world is trying to change the word of God. And the church is going along with it and saying, well, fair enough, you know, we better change the gender of God so that it keeps up with our thinking on gender. That should not be. Let us take up the challenge and push on in our faith. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You know, we are weak, but the Spirit is not. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We are the people of God. We have the message of God. And we are to live the way God wants us to live. And we have the Holy Spirit to help us with that. So we have no need, no need to bow the knee to anyone but Christ. We do not need to, as it were, go along the, the coattails of the world and say, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do what you want. It should be the other way around. The message of repentance should be loud and clear. What shall we say then in response to these things that I've just read? It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. Are we willing to put ourselves or our heads above the battlement uh, and, and, and if need be, get it blown off for the sake of Christ instead of going along with all this thing that the world suggests. We need to take God at his word. And he concludes that word that I've been reading by saying, no, in all these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are a body of people who are filled with the power of God, who have the message of God to take to the world. The trouble is we fell over our shoelaces. And we've stopped doing it on the whole because the world is trying to shut us down and we're allowing the world to do that instead of standing forward and saying, no, God says this or that. And so the challenge for us today is to be like Elijah and to say to the world around us, who will you serve this day? If, if your gods will answer you and do the things you want, well, perhaps they are to be your gods. But Elijah says, no, God is God. And God is correct in all that he says, all that he does. His word has not changed. And we must not change the word of God also. There is a spiritual battle going on in our country that needs a spiritual response. And that spiritual response is spiritual people of God getting down on their knees and praying and going forward and telling the gospel. And the challenge to each one of us today is will we do that? Will we respond and say the Lord, he is God? Let's pray, shall we?
Father, we thank you for this scripture that tells us about that battle that Elijah had. And Father, we realise that we are living in a similar day. A day, Lord, that you foretold would come. Father, help each one of us to walk in your footsteps. Help each one of us to bow the knee to you alone. And help each one of us to be steadfast and sure with the message that we have. To the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.